It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you can think of me as your friendly guide to the English language, writing, history, rules, and cool stuff. Today, we answer a listener question about the word unquote. Plus, I have a quick and dirty tip about the word chipotle and a meaty middle about idioms from horse racing. Here's the listener question. Good evening, Grammar Girl. What a wonderful podcast. I've only been listening for a couple of months, and um, I was a linguistics major in college, so this is great. Um, the question I had is when you, make, when you uh, speak about a quote, it almost sounds to me like you're saying unquote at the end of it. I'm hoping that you're saying end quote, but I just had, it's just been bugging me. So I had to call you and say, please don't say unquote, say end quote. And I hope I haven't offended, but that's what it is as far as I know. Okay. If it's different, tell me. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for the question. People have asked me about this before and I do say unquote. Unquote is a common and established idiom to signal the end of a quotation. And so is end quote. Maybe unquote sounds wrong to some people because we don't use that term to signal an ending quotation mark. For that, we'd say end quote or ending quote or maybe closing quotation mark. We wouldn't call the mark itself an unquote. But if we're talking about the quotation and not the punctuation, unquote has been used to signal the end of something quoted for more than a hundred years. The Oxford English Dictionary has an example of unquote from 1910, and it also has examples of quote-unquote used before or after a quotation. A search of Google's book corpus shows a clear preference for unquote over end quote and doing a general Google search for the two terms returns an almost equal number of hits. That said, one commenter on a linguistics discussion board did find earlier examples of end quote in early 20th century telegrams. In his sleuthing, he found that unquote became the more popular option around 1910. None of the dictionaries I consulted had an entry for the two-word combination end quote, you can certainly say end quote to signal the end of a quotation, but unquote works just fine, and it seems to be the established way to go. That answer was written by Mark Allen, a freelance copy editor based in Columbus, Ohio. Follow him on Twitter at Editor Mark, and that's Mark with a K. I thought it would be better to have someone other than me, someone unbiased, address that question. Thanks, Mark, and thanks again to the caller for the question. 
Next, May 5th is Cinco de Mayo, a holiday that celebrates the Mexican Army's victory over French forces in the Battle of Puebla in 1862. The battle was one event in a three-year war between France and Mexico. Although it culminated in France taking control of the country and installing a French emperor as ruler, that rule didn't last long. After only three years, France withdrew from the country and ceded control back to Mexico. The Battle of Puebla didn't end the war or win it, but it was a symbolic victory for Mexico. 4,000 poorly armed Mexican soldiers defeated 8,000 well-trained, well-equipped French troops. The battle spurred a sense of patriotism and fueled a guerrilla resistance that helped convince France to leave the country. Today, in honor of Cinco de Mayo, we're going to address a long-standing, deeply debated question. How do you pronounce one of Mexico's most beloved agricultural exports? Is it chipotle or chipotle? Let me say unequivocally that the word is pronounced chipotle. That's lay as in rhymes with play, clay, tray, and so forth. The word comes from a Nahuatl word for smoked chili pepper. Nahuatl is an Udo-Aztecan language that's been spoken in central Mexico since at least the 7th century and is still spoken today. Udo-Aztecan is an American Indian language family and one of the oldest and largest language families in the world. Its reach once stretched from what is now Oregon in the northern United States all the way to Panama at the very bottom tip of Central America. It includes the Hopi and Comanche languages of North America, Aztecan in Central America, and many others. Now let me blow your mind by telling you that there's no such thing as a chipotle pepper. Chipotles aren't a natural variety of pepper in the way that habanero, cayenne, poblano, or serrano peppers are. Chipotles are just plain old jalapeno peppers that have been dried and smoked. This practice can be traced all the way back to the 13th century, the time of the Aztecs, when meats and fruits were dried as a way of preserving them. The flesh of jalapenos are very thick and tough especially when compared to that of other peppers. That meant jalapenos were likely to rot before they had a chance to dry out. Thus, the practice of smoking them became common. Jalapenos were left on the vine until they turned from dark green to a deep red, just like bell peppers do. They were then picked and smoked over a fire or placed in a smoking chamber. The same method is still used today, and it's jalapeno's natural heat and flavor, plus the application of smoke, that creates the distinctive smoky taste of chipotles. Not chipotles, mind you, but chipotles. And by the way, next time you say that word, think about the fact that you're saying one of the same words the Aztecs did centuries ago. And the next time you go to that ubiquitous restaurant chain of the same name and order something made with chipotles, remember that you're tasting the fruits of the Aztecs' ingenuity. Happy Cinco de Mayo, everyone. That segment was written by Samantha Enslin, who runs Dragonfly Editorial. You can find her on Twitter at DragonflyEdit or at DragonflyEditorial.com. Some people like to deep clean every Saturday morning. I prefer to spend a few minutes every day keeping things fresh with Lysol. Lysol's brand new day all-purpose cleaner 
cleans and kills 99.9% .9 of viruses and bacteria on hard, non-porous surfaces around your home with a fragrance that feels like a tropical getaway for your senses. <sighs> Don't just clean. Lysol clean. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Remember the frustration of trying to memorize vocabulary and grammar rules only to find you couldn't actually use the language in real life? Well, there's a better way to learn. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program with millions of users learning 25 different languages, and you can get it on your desktop or as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone immerses you in many ways with its intuitive process. It's really different. You pick up the language naturally, first with words, then the phrases, and then with sentences. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There is no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Grammar Girl listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Is it rosettastone.com slash grammar. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash grammar today. This Saturday is the Kentucky Derby, which is considered the biggest horse racing event of the year in the United States. Twenty three-year-old thoroughbreds will race around a dirt track that's one and a quarter miles long. The race lasts only two minutes, but the winner will take home a cool $2 million. Winners of the Kentucky Derby include legends like Seattle Slough, Secretariat, and War Admiral. And of course, the 2015 winner was the unfortunately named American Pharaoh, misspelled as P-H-A-R-O-A-H, instead of properly with an A-O-H. Oh well, even if Pharaoh's owner wasn't a great speller, he had the sense to hire an amazing trainer, so kudos to him. In any case, this week we're going to talk about idioms that come from horse racing, or at least horse riding. Let's start with some that are related to the concept of getting a horse to speed up. First, there's the expression to spur someone on. This means to encourage them or urge them ahead. This expression alludes to the practice of outfitting a rider's heels with spurs. Spikes or spiked wheels they can dig into a horse's side, signaling it to start moving or go faster. A related term is to do something on the spur of the moment meaning to do it impulsively, without any prior planning. Imagine yourself as an innocent horse, leisurely carrying your rider, and then being jabbed in the side and lunging forward in response. That gives you a pretty good idea of where this idiom came from. Spur, by the way, is a very old word, found recorded in some of the very oldest English texts we have. 
No surprise, since humans are believed to have started riding horses as far back as 10,000 years ago. Another expression that means to urge someone on is to goad them. This expression, however, has a more sinister overtone. You could spur someone to start exercising, for example, by encouraging them and complimenting their progress. But if you goad them to exercise more, you'd be tormenting them into doing it. You might make fun of them for being in bad shape or find ways to constantly remind them how weak they are. That's because the verb to goad is derived from the noun goad, which means a stick or rod with a sharp, pointy end. These were used to drive livestock along, often with the accompaniment of a whip. The first reference to goad being used in this way can be found in a book of Anglo-Saxon poetry from the 10th century. In contrast, the first reference to goad being used as a verb, either literally or figuratively, doesn't show up until the 1500s. Finally, we have the concept of giving someone free reign, that is, giving them the freedom to do as they see fit. This idiom refers to riders loosening their horses' reins and allowing them to walk at their own pace. Just as we have these idioms related to speeding up, we also have some related to slowing down. Several of these allude to a rider pulling on a horse's reins, signaling the horse to stop or slow down. For example, we can rein in someone's bad behavior. We can put the reins on an activity that's moving too fast or is headed in the wrong direction. We can keep a tight rein on an unruly teenager, and we can draw the reins in on a venture that's not going well. All these expressions make even more sense when you know that the word rein came into English from the Latin word retinere, meaning to hold back. When you're reining someone in, you're restraining them. By the way, this type of rein is spelled R-E-I-N. That's in contrast to R-E-I-G-N, a word that refers to the rule of a monarch. That word comes from the Latin renium, meaning a kingship or the power of a king. Another way we ask people to slow down or be patient is to tell them to hold their horses. This expression alludes to carriage drivers making their horses wait by holding tightly to the reins. We can also bridle someone, meaning to curb, check, or restrain them. This, of course, refers to the placing of a bridle on a horse's head. A bridle is usually fit with a metal bit that sits in the horse's mouth. The riders pull on the reins, which are attached to the bit, to guide or control the horse. To bridle can also have an opposite meaning. When a horse is reined in, it'll sometimes throw up its head and draw in its chin so as to lessen the pull on its mouth. In the same way, a person can bridle when they feel offended. The expression suggests the way people might toss their head or raise their chin in an expression of pride, vanity, or resentment. In this sense, bridling alludes to resisting a bridle rather than being controlled by it. There are many other idioms related to horses, horse racing, and horse riding. We've talked about several of them before on the podcast, and you can find them all on quickanddirtytips.com. Just search for the word horse, and you'll find information on dark horses, champing at the bit, and lots of other information that comes straight from the horse's mouth. And if you watch the Kentucky Derby this weekend, enjoy your two minutes. I know I will. That segment was also written by Samantha Anslin. 
I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl and author of seven books, including the New York Times bestseller, Grammar Girl's Quick and Dirty Tips for Better Writing. And thanks to my audio producer, Nathan Sims. This show is part of the Quick and Dirty Tips podcast network, and you can find articles that go with each episode at quickanddirtytips.com. That's all. Thanks for listening. Is this house a good price compared to others in the area? Are prices going up or down? If I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask. And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a Realtor can help answer. Because Realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's what Realtors do. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.